0: This is Crane's Daily Gist. I'm Amy Guth. On this episode of the podcast, Governor Pritzker reports a drop in the number of confirmed positive COVID cases in the state ahead of the next reopening phase on May 29th. And Mayor Lightfoot gives guidance on business reopenings in the city, though without a reopening date. More about that story and others coming up today on the podcast. But first, this word from our sponsor. Wintrust Commercial Banking offers a full suite of financial resources designed to meet the needs of middle market businesses and larger companies. With comprehensive and personalized financial solutions coupled with bankers who get to know your industry's demands, Wintrust Commercial Banking is committed to providing the tools to help your business reach its strategic growth initiatives. You've got a vision for your business and Wintrust Commercial Banking is here to help you see it through. Find out more at Wintrust.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. All right, it is time for our weekly check-in with Cranes senior reporter Steve Daniels about all things economic news. Steve, what's top of mind for you today on that front?
1: I think what's top of mind is is the stock market and uh, the very strong performance of stocks of late to the point where you sort of think that the damage has been massive in terms of the market, but the S&P 500 is down 7% for the year now, um, which doesn't seem to jive with what's actually occurring in people's lives, Uh, a horrendous virus that. We're going to claim 100,000 lives here very shortly. People having to substantially change their their lives and socially distance and and worry about either contracting the virus or, or, or passing it on to other people. So it's it's a uh, I think that's what's top of mind and it, and it's you've got basically a disagreement between stock investors and consumers over what's going to happen, or at least their feelings of uh, optimism or pessimism. Stock investors are clearly optimistic that as economies open up, and every everyone is going to open up to one degree or another here relatively shortly, including the city of Chicago, that that will prompt economic growth to resume, uh, that we'll see something like that, that uh, V-shaped recovery that we keep talking about or uh, people keep talking about occur. And this will all have been something of a terrible economic bad dream. Consumers, on the other hand, consumer sentiment is is, is in the toilet, it remains there. It's come up a little bit, but barely. So consumers, clearly, you know, obviously we've got massive joblessness and worries about the people who do have jobs are worried about keeping them. So all of that is really what I'm thinking about at this point. And uh, who's going to be right? That's the question.
0: Yeah, that's a really important point. And I think especially as we start talking about reopening and what that might look like, things can be open, but that doesn't necessarily mean that consumers are going to want to be out in the world, even in a modified way, much less doing things as they did previously.
1: Yeah, no, and 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 they won't be doing them like they did previously. The question is, you know, will they be doing them much at all, right? And and I think that you have seen, I think people are going through a sort of Kubler-Ross phase of dealing with, the psychological shock that took hold. And at this stage, I think people are starting to get used to the idea of this is how things are going to be for a while. And, you know, you do see more people out about, especially as the weather is getting better, you know, at least in in Chicago, at least where I am, people are are good about using their masks. You're seeing um, traffic on the roads come back a little bit. They're certainly not at the same levels, but uh, depending on where you are, I was in a suburban area recently and everything looked like it was just the way it used to be. In the city, not as much. But at any rate, yes, that is the key. I mean, will people go to get their hair cut? Will people sit outside eating al fresco? which is I think the only way that that is going to occur in Chicago, or at least it appears that way. And, you know, the big overarching question in terms of economic comeback is the virus. That's the
0: question. So yesterday at a conference, uh, Jamie Dimon made some comments about economic recovery. What was your take on on those comments?
1: Yeah, he presented, uh, Chase presented sort of their outlook and he was there and uh, spoke about it. Um, He really kind of confirmed what I think uh, investors believe, which is that right now, as they sit there and look at things, they are reasonably optimistic about the second half of the year with lots of caveats particularly, again, having to do with the virus and whether we see a come back in you know, a lot of hot spots as places open up and the like. But Chase basically said they were going to be taking another big provision for loan losses in the second quarter, but on the current trajectory of things, uh, probably not in the latter half of the year. Now, a couple of things that were interesting about and numerically about what they talked about. One and a half million Chase customers currently are on forbearance. So chase the biggest bank in the country. So that's you know they bank a lot, an awful lot of people. But one and a half million people not paying their bills right now is a lot. So the big test is really going to come when these forbearance periods expire, and banks are going to have to decide. Well, first of all, they're going to see who can pay their bills and who can't at that point. Who's going to need another round of help, and then the banks will have to make a decision on whether to help them or whether to sort of pull the plug. So the big test comes really in two months from now uh, when those those forbearance periods expire and we look and see who can pay their bills and who cannot.
0: And so speaking of that, Chase and Potbelly, we've talked about them and their relationship before, particularly around PPP loans, but Chase has upped the pressure on Potbelly now. What is the latest there?
1: Yeah. So I, I think the Potbelly story is really a fascinating one in terms of how the various programs that were designed to help businesses like Potbelly that were really affected by the stay-at-home lockdown economy issues worked or didn't work. So in Popelli's case, of course, they were among the chain, the restaurant chains that had initially gotten PPP loans and independent restaurants cried foul. It became a national Issue, the treasury secretary, Stephen Mnuchin said, Hey, Potbelly and Shake Jack and companies like that. This program was not designed for you and, and we're going to make life hard for you if you hold on to the money. Potbelly felt compelled to give it back, which it did. And then just a few weeks later, they were dealing with their bank. Their bank is chased. They had drawn down $40 million, which was the entirety of their line of credit in March when everything, you know, went to, you know what? but they'd already by mid-May they'd already tripped up the covenants in the loan agreement so basically they had to go back to Chase and say okay what now so what Chase did at that point was say okay well we would like 15 million of that back right now please also we're going to raise your your interest rate and um we're going to put in place a number of new covenants in terms of cash flow and things like typical covenants that banks have with their customers, which Potbelly said it was going to run afoul of as soon as next month in June, which will then give Chase yet another bite at this apple to say whether or not they're going to, at that point, they can just simply demand that Potbelly repaid the loan, which it wouldn't be able to do and would drive them into bankruptcy. That may be unlikely, but they're, you know, they could well turn the screws again. So this all prompted Potbelly to basically say, This is an accounting standard to say, we're not sure we can survive. And accounting standards require you, if you're not certain of that you're going to make it, you got to tell investors in your SEC documents. And that's what they did. It gives a sense of just how much control banks have over who survives, who doesn't, whether that's a a big company like Popbelly or whether that's just an individual consumer. Who's going to get forbearance? Who isn't? You know, as the federal government withdraws its support programs, whenever that occurs, banks like this are going to have to make those calls. And, uh, you know, obviously that will then raise the specter of of banks as the bad guys that occurred during the uh, Great Recession. But we're not at that point yet. I think that's just what's going to come in the future.
0: And that's something that you and I had talked about before, that one of the differences between then and now, the 2008-9 recession and now, is that banks were the bad guys then, and they're not now. It's something totally different. But it sounds like the potential is there for that to shift.
1: Absolutely. And I think this potbelly story was evidence of that. I mean, I, I, like you just said, so far... The banks, and believe me, they're happy about this, ha- have been in the position of being looked at as rescuers, as saviors. Now, obviously, with some exceptions, like with the PPP loans and, and how, how many big companies initially got that and small businesses got got shut, up, shut out. But, yeah, that's the, that's the situation.
0: We've talked a lot about credit, too, particularly Discover. What can their numbers tell us right now?
1: Nothing's really changed in terms of the underlying issues affecting Discover and credit card companies. And I mean, the U.S. consumer that worries about consumers paying their bills. The first bill you you decide not to pay, generally speaking, is your credit card bill. So that's why those companies really suffered in the initial stock downdraft. And Discover was really punished. So from March 13th, when all of this really uh, became an issue to where their stock bottomed out, That stock was down more than 50% from that period. It's now down about 7% from that period. So Discover is almost clawed back all the way to where it was when the world completely changed, Uh, which, again, tells you something about how investors are optimistic. Um, Nothing regarding Discover's underlying situation has changed at all. It's just all about sentiment.
0: And that's exactly it, which kind of brings us back to where we were at the beginning, and, and it's the investors' sentiment reconciling with consumer sentiment.
1: Yeah, and all of this is going to depend entirely on what happens as economies reopen, and we've seen lots of scenes, right, over Memorial Day weekend in particular of uh, big crowds and Lake Geneva and uh, look at the Ozarks in Missouri. and and other places with no masks on, no social distancing of any kind, just carrying on as if nothing has changed. Effectively, now is that wise? No, probably not. But effectively what, what that is going to do is it's, a, it's a, a massive experiment in whether this virus somehow is tamped down in the, in the hotter months, et cetera. And we won't know the answer to that for, you know, two, three, four weeks. So you know, I think the the risk here is that success of the very harsh stay-at-home measures has clearly let down the guard of of some portion of the population, and so we're going to we're going to see in two, three, four months whether we see flare-ups because of all of this activity. And if we do, then I think all bets are off in terms of uh, the stock market, the economy, and all of that. It it all depends on transmission of the virus and obviously also on the vaccine and how that's progressing and, and whether treatments improve as well. But that's the story.
0: Indeed. Thanks so much, Steve. Appreciate you taking the time to talk today. Yep, absolutely. Coming up, that four-hospital merger we talked about earlier this week, now it's off. More detail on that story and others right after this. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at 11 a.m. for a special video live stream interview with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. Just head to Crane's Chicago Business on Facebook or LinkedIn. Again, that's at 11 a.m. tomorrow. And see the whole thing live and hear audio from the conversation here on Crane's Daily Gist, available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. For a daily roundup of stories about how the coronavirus outbreak is impacting business and the economy, sign up for our free newsletter at chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update. All one word. The paywall has been dropped for all coronavirus stories at chicagobusiness.com, but we do encourage you to consider subscribing to support our journalism. And if you receive cranes in print at the office and are missing it while working from home, you can always access the electronic edition anytime at chicagobusiness.com dot com slash digital edition. Again, that's chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update for the free newsletter and chicagobusiness.com slash digital edition. So you don't miss a thing from the print edition while you're working from home. Yesterday, state officials shared a rare bit of what they described as, quote, great news, and that is a notable drop in positive tests and COVID-related hospitalizations, a strong number of available hospital and ICU beds, and the first week the state has seen fewer deaths than the week prior. All four of the state's regions are on track to move to Governor Pritzker's next reopening phase on Friday, and under the guidance, manufacturing, offices, retail, barbershops, and salons can reopen to the public. So can some tennis and golf facilities and boating. Gatherings of 10 people or fewer are allowed and residents must still wear a mask and social distance. Governor Pritzker said he was, quote, terribly dismayed to see large gatherings in nearby Lake Geneva over the weekend and shot down rumors that he was in Wisconsin at one of his homes. He said, I haven't been out of the state since very early March and added that Wisconsin has seen a 16 percent jump in hospitalizations since the statewide stay home order was rejected by the Supreme Court there and said it was, quote, an example of what can happen if people don't follow mitigations that are supposed to be in place. The city of Chicago will not reopen on the same schedule as the state, but Mayor Lightfoot says depending on the numbers, the city might open up slightly in the first 10 days of June. And so while the exact reopening day is uncertain, the city of Chicago is releasing its own guidelines for businesses in the next phase of things known as the cautiously reopen phase. The city expects 130,000 Chicagoans to head back to work in that phase, and the guidelines are meant to line up with those developed by the state. One of the largest events each year at McCormick Place will now happen virtually amid the coronavirus pandemic, a sign cancellations for the convention center could last through at least the end of the year. The oakbrook based Radiological Society of North America announced all this yesterday afternoon for its late November, early December RSNA 2020 annual meeting, canceling the in-person event that was poised to bring in more than 52,000 attendees. And it's the first major cancellation of a McCormick Place convention scheduled 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 for that late in the year, adding on to the COVID-induced financial hits to the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority, which is the agency that owns and runs the convention center. As of mid-May, 95 events that were expected to bring in nearly 800,000 people to the venue, and that would account for almost $1 in local economic impact, had been canceled or postponed, according to the agency. Those events would have also accounted for more than 740,000 nights booked at local hotels. However, some event organizers may not have much choice. Conventions can't be held until the final phase of Governor Pritzker's plan to reopen businesses statewide. Based on that plan, the final phase would only arrive when there are no new confirmed coronavirus cases over a sustained period. A vaccine is developed or treatment options are, quote, readily available. Boeing is set to unveil deep job cuts to its Seattle-area engineering workforce this week as the planemaker reduces its number of workers to cut costs. The company told union officials that layoff notices will go out Friday, and some managers have already started alerting workers that they will lose their jobs, according to SPEEA, which represents about 18,000 engineers in the Puget Sound region. About 1,300 of the union's members applied for and were cleared to take buyouts, according to a spokesperson for the labor group. Boeing's CEO, Dave Calhoun warned last month that the company would need to cut 10 percent of its workforce or about 16,000 jobs to shrink operations as many of its airline customers are fighting for survival. Rival plane maker Airbus has also been considering major job cuts after announcing plans to scale down production by more than a third. Boeing told officials at the engineering union to expect cuts of between 15 and 20 percent of white-collar workers in the Seattle area and Southern California. That, according to the Puget Sound Business Journal, which reported the discussions earlier and reported that Boeing has already begun eliminating jobs in Canada and Australia. Calhoun has said he doesn't expect sales to return to 2019 levels for another three years or to start growing meaningfully until mid-decade. Boeing has also drawn down a nearly $14 billion term loan and issued $25 billion in bonds to build a cash stockpile. In one final story for today, the merger of four financially struggling Southside hospitals is off. This comes after lawmakers approved revisions to the state's hospital assessment program, but left out a pool of about 500 million to help facilities across the state transform as the healthcare industry evolves. And these Southside hospitals were counting on a big piece of that funding. The hospital said in a letter to the Illinois Department of Healthcare and Family Services director, quote, after carefully evaluating the 11th hour shift in the legislature legislation. Establishing the Hospital Transformation Fund, we have determined that we see no path forward for our project that would transform health care on the South Side and help address disparities in health for the patients we serve. The letter continued, we have grave concerns about this development and we believe this action will force hospital closures, cause further service cuts, and push access to care even further out of reach for the families we serve. The four hospitals, Advocate Trinity, Mercy, South Shore, and St. bernard said in January that they were aiming at creating a single system with one leadership team aimed at improving healthcare in their South Side communities. The four hospitals had requested $110 million from the Hospital Transformation Fund for fiscal year 2021, asking for a total of $520 million over the next five years to offset losses and create the new single system, a source close to the deal told Cranes. The letter also said, while we cannot go forward, we have formulated a strategic business case for transformation that hopefully will not be lost. And could serve as a future resource for the state. Continuing, our Southside Coalition will do our best to share this expertise and conclusions as the state considers whatever path it will take to address the unacceptable disparity that remains and the precarious financial situation faced by hospitals in the region. Until tomorrow, that's all for Crane's Daily Gist. Special thanks to producer Haima Black, as well as to today's guest, Steve Daniels. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for a special live recording of the podcast with Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. Just look for Crane's Chicago Business on Facebook and LinkedIn to see it live at 11 a.m. Central. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.